So with the recent elections, we've added a few more states to both rec and medical. We want to see kind of what valuations are doing. We've seen some funny things happen with pricing between 2018 and today. So we're going to take a look at a report from the marijuana retail report on Oregon specifically, taking a look at the dispensary sales and what we can gauge on future valuations with a lot more states rolling out. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. So today we're going to take a look at a report to dive in to see what valuations are doing today and what that means for the future. It's going to affect everything from cannabis products to potential uh, publicly traded stock prices and everything else down the road. So over the past couple of years in Oregon, there's been a couple of significant regulatory developments which have influenced both demand and pricing on cannabis licenses in Oregon. The first big change was in June of 2018 when there was a pause in processing of new license applications, something we've seen in basically every other rollout, including Washington, which there's a moratorium on it. You can't get a new license even if you wanted to. And then the second big development is with um, streamlined licensing. So the administration pivoted already. It's shaken loose a lot of the um, standalone applications from a couple of years back that weren't really moving forward. Again, we're seeing that in um, obscure states like um, Arkansas, Missouri, Ohio, Utah. If you don't move on those licenses, they're just going to cancel them. So some of the production processing licenses that were only around $5,000 to buy, they've been seeing um, sales prices and purchase prices anywhere from 125 to 175 which is about what we were seeing in 2018 in Washington. You could get a producer processor license for $150,000. So I think in Washington, that's dropped dramatically over the last couple of years with people like Willie Nelson leaving town, just decided to get out of Washington state altogether. So as there's more opportunities in, in the East with New Jersey and some of these other rollouts, I don't think people want to really deal with um, you know, the Northwest, Seattle and Portland kind of having these over-regulatory burdens, it's just not really worth it. But we are still seeing people um, getting in just to say that they're here. So how do you price a retail license? In Oregon, it's mostly done on multiples of revenue. So generally speaking, it's an odd metric for business valuations, but it's calculated fairly simply. You just agree on the multiplier of revenue. It seems to be the industry consensus. So you just say, um, if you had sales at 900,000 last year, then you would sell it for 900,000. It's just one X of what your sales are. Um, historically speaking, a, a tech company could get 10 X of revenue, but one X a metric is usually floated up a bit. You might see revenues at 1.5 X being sold all the way down to half revenue. So six months worth of revenue is what some of the licenses were being sold. Um, when people found out earlier this year, just how difficult the market is. So from a value perspective, one might ask, does any of this make sense? So let's say, for example, you have a dispensary that does 1.5 million in annual sales. Should the buyer pay even 750,000 for that in an industry where there's most stores that just break even or lose money? And yet there's still a demand out there. So today the revenue multiplier is floating back up amid the soaring pandemic sales, seeing it largely around point. 8% inside Portland and 0.65 elsewhere. 
So you're seeing an upward trend adjustments in market like um, suburban uh, Portland, where zoning restrictions allow for maybe five operators and a downward adjustment uh, in Southern Oregon. So at some point, it seems like there's both demand and pricing metrics are going to settle out. Most, re most recently, we've seen buyers move along to traditional valuation metrics like EBITDA and adjusted cash flow. It makes a lot of sense, maybe not as much sense as Oregon shedding a few hundred stores. That's a topic for another day. So taking a multiple of revenue is pretty old school, whether you're saying it's you know 0.65 or 1.5x of revenue, there's better ways of valuing your, your business, whether it's a retail or producer or processor, whatever it is. Discounted cash flows is one way of doing that. This is a method that's been used for I don't know, at least 300 years, probably 1700s. And so you can apply the method of all future cash flows that are estimated and then discounted using the cost of capital to give your present value. Most publicly traded companies, they're going to look at EBITDA, which is the earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And you're going to make a comparable analysis based on uh, those metrics, those financials, you're just going to kind of compare both of them. Uh, even a more simple one than that is the earnings per share. So if you look at earnings per share for Tesla, it's going to be like negative 1400%. So you need multiple metrics in order to figure out if it's going to be accretive or dilutive, meaning uh, if your earnings per share is greater together, it's going to be accretive. If your earnings per share is less together, merged, then it's going to be dilutive and you're not going to want to move forward. Other ways um, that the cannabis industry has looked at valuations is public comparables. So if you're looking at buying you know, a rec shop and you just saw that MedMen sold for X amount, you're going to use that as a public comparable, looking at you know, acquisition costs and transaction analysis. And then maybe a more obscure one is a leverage buyout that we don't see too much yet. We're seeing sale leaseback options, which aren't, aren't the same. A sale leaseback option is simply if you were to own a building and you want to do a quote reverse mortgage, uh, then you would just sell that property, plant and equipment and lease it right back versus a leverage buyout. That's when a company's acquisition of another company using a significant amount of borrowed money to meet that cost of acquisition. In other words, front loading a lot of debt. So we do see a lot of acquisitions based on uh, shareholder equity. What we haven't seen is people issuing bonds to do that. We did see Apple. Apple sold $5 billion worth of bonds to buy their stock back, which is insane. But I think that's a podcast for another day. Don't forget your due diligence. You want to make sure that the financials matter, that you have either technology, technological or intellectual property. Make sure your, your IP is there. Looking at uh, finance and, and customer sales data, make sure, make sure it's a strategic fit. If you want a job with somebody, you want to make sure that's a strategic fit. Same thing with buying another company. Is it synergistic? Are there technological overlaps? Is there a cultural alignment? Is it financial win-win? Uh, and then looking at um, an M&A with those valuations, you want to make sure that if you are pursuing a merger and acquisition, that it increases the diversity of revenue with a new complementary product or service, that there's an increased production capacity or workflow, that there's more market share or economies of scale, uh, a reduction in financial risks, 
uh, increase in operational efficiencies and expertise or increase in R&D expertise with various programs. We're already seeing some license holders offloading their positions in newly make, uh, medical regulated states uh, like Ohio. So with those valuations going sky high, they better be uh, valued correctly because if you have something like, I don't know, $420 million valuation, you're going to be sued. So that's kind of the importance of that. You're just going to have to come back to the talking hedge and find out. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary. And I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.